hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. Yeah, thank you, Linda. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. And say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came upon them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army women up on the hillside. God's breath, the same breath that breathed life into Adam and Eve. The same breath. I want to suggest to you in this last session that we have that God is a filling God a filling God. I know that, that's just a simple, simple word, but I just couldn't think of one better. <laughs> so we have, yes, yeah, Kathy. That was Ezekiel 37. He just gave that to me. That's why I didn't, it's not in your notes, right? <clears throat> I just was thinking about the breath of God and felt like that was a good one. He rises to fill you with compassion. He wants to do for you more and more than you can even ask or imagine. This is a filling God. He has patience so that more and more would know him and believe. We want to embrace this aspect of what it means that God is a filling God before we leave. Because this is life. So let me ask a question of you. I'm going to give you about one minute to talk about this with the person or persons next to you. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come?
take a minute. Why did Jesus come? I think you're engaged with that thought there. Sorry. <laughs> you better finish your thought. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> That's hard to always cut somebody off. I should have said five-second warning or something. I heard several people use a passage that I'm going to use, but just real quickly, shout some things out. Why did, why did Jesus come? Out of obedience. Good. Oh. out of his obedience to glorify the Father. Yes. Good. So that he could come and die for us. Yep. Very good. I knew you were going to say that because I heard you saying it, Morgan. So yeah, she was, this is a segue into John 10.10. 10. So you, got, you know this verse, John 10.10. 10. <clears throat> and this is, this is one of those things. Um, but it really wraps up well in the verse in John 10.10 10, that we should all have memorized. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. Because what did Adam lose? Life. So what did Jesus come to give? Life. The fullness of life. So that's life eternal, like my mom said. Eternal life. But it's eternal life that we know begins now. We're not talking about life in heaven we're talking about heaven on earth eternal life beginning now right this is God's so desire that we experience victorious life here now not someday but now and the New Testament is full of this word life 
John 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. John 11, 25. I, or is it 24? I am the resurrection and the life. Yeah, you were thinking that one, Linda. I saw that in your face. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. In other words, he will live spiritually even though he dies physically. This is really good stuff. So I, um, I, I, I'm, I love to think back on what life was like, if you'll go with me back to the Garden of Eden, and imagine what it was like for Adam and Eve when they were created by God, physically alive and spiritually alive, right? That perfect unity with the Father. Can you imagine the reality of walking with God? Having perfect harmony with God? It's almost kind of hard to comprehend because we can't hardly comprehend Him. But there was perfect... uh, I mean, their pillow talk at nighttime must have just been like perfect pillow talk. You think about it, like, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, their discussions about what they might do the next day were probably, I can't even imagine, like, go for a ride on the lion's back to somewhere or something. <laughs> Can you imagine? They didn't have any needs, so they weren't talking about their needs. They didn't even know what a need was. So they felt completely secure. They knew what their job and their purpose was. So they felt significant because they knew that. There was no bickering, no disunity between each other or between them and God. Perfect harmony, complete complete acceptance with each other and with God. A pillow talk's a little bit different, is it not? Whether you're laying next to your spouse and you're pillow talking or whether you're laying on your own pillow thinking before you go to sleep at night. Those things that we talk about. When we gotta be careful because sometimes we bring up these intense things that our husband just wants, you know, they just want to go sleep and I'm ready to talk about something. But it's usually related to my kids or it's related to, you know, something that we're dealing with because we have needs and we're not so sure if we're completely accepted right now by so-and-so. And so we need to talk about these things. Can you imagine the change for Adam and Eve Suddenly, because of their sin. You have to try to imagine that suddenly they went from having perfect peace, perfect unity, perfect joy, just no questions, no insecurities, no lies, no. You know, none of that, but all of a sudden, because of their selfish decision, all of a sudden, they now 
need to hide because there's fear put into their hearts. All of a sudden, they're insecure in their relationships because of this break that has suddenly happened that causes them to flee. All of a sudden, they have this um, unsureness of who, who am I now that I, I know something happened here, and so what does that mean for me? You see the huge difference and the gap that it now led for us because we're born that way? So that perfect um, spiritual union with the Father was severed. And spiritual death is what we inherited. Physically alive, but we know spiritually dead, right? You guys know this. So now we're trying to, we're struggling to try to figure all these things out. In all these areas, there's these unknowns, there's these holes, there's these things that we try so hard to work up. This is what your children need to understand. Why they feel in so insecure when that friend suddenly isn't a friend anymore. And why it's okay to be a friend to two people. You're still you. So there's this constant driving that we have of trying to fill these needs. There's a fear that I'm not going to be important enough or that I'm not going to be good enough or I'm not going to have enough. None of these were there before. It's not the way that God created things. And all of a sudden, man, our kids are in such a struggle and we are in such a struggle because we really don't believe that Jesus is really enough. The life that Adam lost, Jesus came to give us back. He who has the Son has life. And this is not physical life. This is spiritual life. This is spiritual connection with God the Father. But he who does not have the Son does not have life. 1 John 5.12 Jesus' perfect plan came out of his infinite fullness of wisdom that the reality of his unjustified sin, this unjustified sin that we had, had to be dealt with in order for man to have any connection with God. So the moment we received Christ, we were given the right to be called children of God. 1 John 1, 12. And having that life of Christ within us is what makes it possible the restoration of what Adam and Eve lost in the fall. And now our needs to establish this identity to be accepted, they're fully met. Fully met in Christ. I wasn't going to draw this, but I, I have been um, in a, under the teaching of a guy who I highly respect from our church. He's a counselor, and he's gone through uh, an extensive amount of teaching on this whole thing. And how do we help people understand called uh, this grace life, this life that God has come, that Jesus has come to give us. And I can't do it very well, but 
and you've probably seen this um, circle that kind of demonstrates a person and how we have a body and how we have a, a soul and emotions and a mind and a will and how we have a spirit. And that Christ, when he, or God, when he created Adam and Eve, they were one with him. And there was nothing separating. So God, God filled up all parts of man. But when they chose to sin, there was this huge separation between God and man. And you know that. That separation was sin. And flesh began to reign in the spirit. And so we're born spiritually dead. Right? This should be review for most of you. So we're born spiritually dead with this huge void. And someone who's spiritually dead doesn't know the things of God. They don't make sense to him. And sin kept us apart. And so that sin had to be punished. And so you know God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And he left us his spirit. And so his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, resides in our hearts when we choose to fully submit to him. But there's still this ongoing temptation of the flesh. And sanctification is the process of replacing the flesh with God himself. So we have his spirit. That's justification, right? He's come in and has justified us because of what he's done on the cross. But there's this constant, um, continual process of sanctification going on. Yeah. We have arrived, but not really. Not yet. Sometimes we don't feel this. Truth. That the Holy Spirit of God resides in you. We don't feel that truth. And so we don't really believe that truth. And we always act out of what we believe. So this is one of those things that you need to say to yourself, I'm not going to wait for my feeling to come around. I'm going to choose to believe the truth. And out of the truth and living out the truth will flow my feelings. So get that turned around if you're hung up on that. You're not going to feel it. So you choose to go to the Word of God because He's given you faith to believe in the Word of God. So you choose to believe it, and He begins to transform your thinking, and He begins to change your will. He begins to change your emotions because that's the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And we begin to understand how to live the victorious Christian life. I'd love for you to turn with me, if you wouldn't mind, to 2 Peter chapter 1. I know you're all tired, so we're going we're gonna to try to stay awake for just a little bit because this is just too good. 2 Peter chapter 1. Um,
start with verse 3. I'm going to read a little bit, and I want you to engage your mind as we're reading, okay? And we need to just ask the Holy Spirit of God to teach you what you need to hear today. So when you're sitting in a situation like this and you're asking the Lord to speak to me, you're saying, speak to me, Lord, I want to hear from you. Um, I want you to write down things today that you feel explode inside of you. Not just things you think sound cute or whatever, but I want you to write down things that you feel the Holy Spirit um, doing something inside. So we, it's not about listening to a pastor or a speaker or whatever and just jotting down all the notes I possibly can, but it's also being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and saying, when am I just feeling like I'm going to explode? I want to be sensitive to what He's doing. I don't want to just get all these good cliches or all these... I don't want that. I want to know what the Holy Spirit is saying to me. Can we learn to do this? That's why I'm a little afraid of, like, giving notes and stuff, because I want you to write down what the Holy Spirit is moving inside of you. We need to train our minds to listen and our hearts to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to me, to you. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So, Holy Spirit of God, we ask you right now to speak to us individually. And as we read through your word in this passage, Lord, we ask, as we want to just lay ourselves wide open and ask you just to come and help us to feel that nudge or that explosion, either one, and to know you're speaking to us through your word. So we're just going to thank you in advance what you're going to do. Amen. So verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oops, I'm in first, Peter, sorry. <laughs> that was a good one, too. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Read that with me, will you please? Or maybe yours doesn't say that, if it does. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Amen? Through the knowledge of him, there's our responsibility, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires, called your flesh. For this very reason, make every effort, work at it, in other words, to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And these build on each other if you want to do study of them. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
according to the moreness of God, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, sisters, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have to read three more verses here because they're so important. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Can you tell your girlfriend you're going to do this? I intend to always remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of remember. Look at your sister next to you and say, I'm going to stir you up. Do you know what you're saying? I'm going to keep reminding you because I love you. I'm going to keep stirring you up because I love you. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, he knows he's going to die, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Man, I love that last paragraph. And we need to do this, ladies. We need to be sisters in Christ who keep reminding each other of these qualities to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. Wow. I think it's right, as long as I am able in this body, to stir you up to remember these things. We'd be good friends if you did that for each other. That's what the community of Christ is all about. When I am filled with the Holy Spirit and living the full life that he created me to live, we shouldn't want a whole lot more in this world. We want more Jesus, like Moses. Show me your glory, God. Show me your glory. One more. One more. As long as I'm in this body. Lord, you show me your glory and I will show your glory to my sisters and those out there who don't know you. One more. Just one more, Jesus. Jesus is enough. There's a great book I recommend to all of you called... Um, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's a great study on the book of Colossians. I've read it. I don't read a lot of books a whole bunch of times, but that one I have studied through like 
It's a very, very good book about Jesus being enough because he's the gospel. He's enough because he gives us his Holy Spirit. Jesus is really enough. And even if we look back, whether if maybe you have um, Isaiah 30 still marked in your Bible. I don't know if you have a bookmark in there. But after the verses that we have just read, I just want to reread to you a little bit where it talks about we've got to cry out, we learn today. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. I'm in verse 20-ish. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, let your teacher, remember that, not hide himself anymore, but your eyes will see your teacher. And your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or to the left. Verse 22 then says, you do these things, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. Ha! You won't care anymore. You will scatter them as unclean things. I have to chuckle because... Anybody have the NIV? What? What's it say? Menstrual cloth. Oh, yeah, I did right down here. You will throw them away like the menstrual cloth. I'm so ready to throw that away. I have a really, my mom's way too healthy because I'm still, I'm 55 and I'm stuck. You just want to throw that thing away. <laughs> but that's okay. I just had to say, be gone. <laughs> it says, away with you, it means. <laughs> Oh, you know Hebrews 12, verse 1? Y'all know that one? Are you thinking what that might, what does it say? Ruth, look at you shaking your head. You remember? Lay aside, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. Now, sometimes we don't know they're there. Sometimes they're strongholds. Let's just set aside and take it serious every weight and every sin that clings so closely and let's run with endurance the race set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith it's the same thing I'm going to get rid of you I don't really care about you anymore idols I don't want you sin sometimes we do Sometimes that sin is such a security for us and the thing that gives us power and control that we don't really want to let go of it. Or our flesh doesn't want to let us do the thing that we really do want to do. Like Paul struggled with. We've got more, ladies. We've got, we've got the Holy Spirit We've got Jesus Christ living in us, and he has come to give us the fullness of life. So don't settle for, I think, what C.S. Lewis does call the pitiful pleasures that we so often settle for. Throw them away. Be gone. So this is a great, this verse 22 in Isaiah 30 is such a beautiful, beautiful result of what we've talked about so far. Are you with me? Such a beautiful result 
of crying out and seeing and hearing and getting rid of strongholds that you just won't care. You don't want these idols anymore. They're detestable to you because you know what the real true thing is. That's how you identify a counterfeit, right? You know the real thing. And so the counterfeit is obvious to you. You guys, if you know the real thing, Jesus, well, these other things are going to look counterfeit. They look like shadows of what's to come. They're pitiful pleasures. Take God for his word on this one. So he came to give us his spirit so that we can have life victoriously, free from sin, free from slavery. He took those Egypt, those Israelites out of Egypt, out of the bondage of slavery, intending on them to experience the promised land. He, he, he took them out of that as a foreshadow also of what Jesus has done for us. Freed us from the slavery to sin given us his Holy Spirit so that we truly no longer need to sin because in 1 Peter, 2 Peter 1, 3, you just read, he gives us everything we need. <laughs> everything we need for godliness. Do you believe that? Some of you are saying, well, then why am I sinning? And why do I sin? because flesh is still a bit a part of you. And so if we choose not to enter the disciplines of renewing our minds with the truth of God's word, we just might let the flesh play with us then. But he has given us everything we need to fulfill the commands that he gives us. Be ye holy as I am holy. The second thing, if you're doing your little outline thing, <laughs> his spirit connects others. He, is, he gives us his spirit so that we will connect others to the love of Jesus. Man, this seems like such a little trite thing, but this is such a big thing. This is our purpose. This is kingdom living. Because we don't keep a good thing to ourselves, right? We don't keep good news to ourselves. That, that wouldn't be right. So anything that we learn about anything this weekend or you, you sit and you listen to Pastor Jim tomorrow and, man, your, your Holy Spirit speaks to you, you're going to want to go share that with somebody. And I think we have the responsibility to share that with somebody. So if you truly believe, then you will work out your faith by doing all that you can to connect everybody that you know to the love of Jesus. I'm talking about breathe through me, breath of God, that love in my home, at work, with my, those friends that have don't seem to care anymore. I'm 
I'm seeing this. God gave me a picture um, last night. I was trying to figure out how to put this together because it actually changed my focus last night, Harry. And there must be a reason why. And I felt a little bit of it this afternoon. <laughs> um, so I have this picture when we were in Africa, in Zambia. One thing that you will notice in that culture and in many other cultures is um, there's many houses that are surrounded by these, these brick walls, right? And there's communities that are surrounded by brick walls. So we had to live in one community that was kind of like a whole bunch of, you could say duplexes or something like that, maybe um, 10 of them. And it was surrounded by brick walls and barbed wire and guards and dogs because they're desperate in Africa and they will get their needs met somehow. And outside our little community, we walked up maybe... uh, (coughs) 200 yards up the road and you were in a uh, one of the poorest places on the earth, Nombe is what it was called, hundreds about 150,000 African Zambians lived there in uh, their little brick huts with their holes uh, in the back to go to the bathroom in I taught school up there under a thatched roof, and the wind would come in and just whip around. There was no shelter at that time. Many of the children up there um, were not clothed and were without parents during the day because their parents were begging someplace. Just desperate. Just desperate. No walls. No barbed wire. And if if I went down the road this way from my community, I went into a neighborhood where there were very nice houses. Two-story houses, painted, and every one of those houses had walls. Each family who owned one there had a wall and barbed wire on top of that wall or else glass sticking straight up. And dogs and guards. This is what I feel like is happening in the church. We're supposed to be a community of people who love each other. But we all are so afraid of being hurt or doing the wrong thing that we begin to build these walls around us. Now, don't say you don't do it. You just don't realize it yet. You do do it. I do it. None of us like pain. None of us want to be hurt. And so we protect ourselves very naturally and quite fleshly by building up these walls. We can even give it, um, I can't think of the scripture now, but we could... We could come up with something that could justify that we're going to build up a wall and protect ourselves from her and from him hurting us because that's what my counselor tells me to do. 
I want to be careful here because everyone's situations are different. So please stick with me. I'm, I'm trying to give the Holy Spirit a chance to break through some of our fears and some of the very natural inclinations that we have to say, trust me with this. This is mine, says the Lord. None of this is unknown to me. And I even know how it feels to live in with rejection, by the way. We don't dare risk living risky. We don't dare. And these walls become so thick and so strong that what I'm seeing is we come, we become imprisoned behind these walls. We build our own prison. And it doesn't allow us to love out. And it doesn't allow us to receive love. In fact, these walls block our sight. And we can't see what's over there for real. We become so inward focused. Sorry, because I know the pain. I'm talking to myself. I'm not pointing a finger at you. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you, not to condemn you, but to convict you where appropriate. Because that leads to life. So be open, open to it. Are you guarding your rights? Do you have rights? as one of God's child. What does that mean? If you're proud, you will stand for your rights and not budge. And you will say, this is wrong because I have the right to respect. Or this is wrong because I have a right to it. you got to be careful. For living under, the, under submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has rights, and he's called us to love as he loves, which is unconditional. A brother offended, I want to write Proverbs 18, 19 down and make a little picture of this. I don't know, but I think it'd be a cool picture at home. A brother offended is harder to be one than a strong, fortified city. And their contentions, their quarrels, what's not settling within them, separate them like the bars of a castle. Sometimes I think the authors of Scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit use these similes and these metaphors because they don't know how else to say it in a real clear, strong way. Kind of like Revelation uses a lot of them in describing God because it's impossible to truly describe him so it's like this, right? So a brother offended. 
I'm talking about, this is what the Lord gave me. Lisa, you need to talk today about how to be an unoffended Christian woman. It's hard. I kind of fought this one a little bit, but he, it, it, he's worked it out so much in my life I could not talk about it because it's happening in me right now. A brother offended, a sister offended, who's feeling, oh, I'm, I'm hurt, I'm offended, is harder to be won than a strong, fortified city because their walls are so thick, they can't see out, they can't love out, and they can't love in, and they starve themselves. It happens in marriages. We have to work hard. We so easily can lay a little brick, and then we lay another little brick, and we lay another little brick, Starts with little things. So right in the middle, I've been, I've been working through this offended Christian thing because I've, I, I was gonna say because I've been so offended. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> yeah, I'm such a baby <laughs> in all of this. But but the other day I was talking to my husband. My, my, my nephew's getting married in Mexico, and it's been kind of a deal. Like, we all need to go to Mexico to go to this wedding, right? So Mom and I have been talking about this, and she's been counseling, on me, counseling me on how to feel good about this because I want to go, but it's kind of a big thing for our family to go down there. So anyway, so I was lamenting over this with my husband, and, and he finally said to me, um, I have to get this right, if you think this is going to set you back and you won't be able to do anything for two weeks when you get back, maybe you shouldn't go. No, but he, so that's what he said to me. So then I had to get in the car, and right after he said that to me, I just tucked it in, and I knew I should just chuck it. But I tucked it in, and um, I'm, I'm driving down the car, down in my car, and Satan brings us up, and it pushes my offense button pushes my pride button, and I'm thinking, Phil is saying, are you so weak that going to Mexico for what is going to take you out for two weeks? And man, I started kind of seething over that, getting a little bit irritated, and I started building the brick, putting the brick there, and building this wall. I wrote, I seethed over that for a bit, ready to hold that one over him for a while, which, by the way, he probably never would have picked up on. It would have just made me stuck in a mud puddle over it. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> but then I realized the enemy's game. And I knew it. And almost with some giddiness, I said out loud in my car alone, no, I am not going there. I am not going there. I will not lay that brick. It's a right in this. Even if Phil did mean that to me, I will not be offended and add a brick to that wall. I'm choosing this. And let me tell you, and I, I, we can replace that. Now the, now the, Next step for me, and I went home. So I started writing a, a 
stronghold buster, just like y'all were doing, some of you were doing, and I just started writing. I went home and started putting down some verses that I got to start thinking of. When I feel this coming on and I start feeling mm, some boiling up inside of me over a little comment like that, when I don't really know the motive, and even if I do, I'm just going to let the Lord deal with that one. I know it's not a big thing to you, Lord, but I'll just use the verse, vengeance is mine. <laughs> right? It's his. I don't even know the whole situation anyway, so thank the Lord that you do, and I'm, I'm not going to put that brick down. Let's do this game together, guys. And I choose to keep loving him. If we can't risk being hurt, then we can't love and give love unconditional. We just can't. And sorry, but the more people that the Lord has put into your life, the riskier it is for you to keep loving unconditionally. We gotta keep loving and we gotta risk the hurt. Unconditional love gives others the right to hurt us. Little things. I leave a gift on one of my daughter's beds. You know, I think it's going to make her feel special. I want her to feel loved by me. And I need to do it more often. But no thank you? No response? Nothing? A look that sometimes looks to me like I'm mad at you? This is real. Like, but now, because I'm taking this on and I believe that God is calling us to be an unoffended Christian community, I, he gives us everything we need. I'm not looking for an answer. I'm not looking for a response. And that uh, frees me up to give again. Instead of giving with an expectation to receive, and instead of having to have a response to tell me that I did the right thing, I don't need it. I'm just loving on her unconditionally without a need for response. My kids have love this one granola bar that I make that I found, and it's expensive because it has granola or it has almonds in it and cashews in it and peanut butter and honey and chia seeds and this expensive stuff and they they love it and they just want to eat it up so I make it because it's really good for them compared to other stuff I don't know how long it takes me so I have to stir it all up and stick it all in these muffin tins and I let it kind of hard and then I take them out and wrap each one of them separately in plastic wrap and them in the, it takes me quite a long time. And the, why will you make those granola bars? You know, but that is going to take a lot out of me tonight. But I'm saying, am I willing to make the granola bar without anything coming back? Now, as a parent, I should teach them to be grateful, right? I'm not saying that at all. We could put, it doesn't have to be kids in this situation. I'm just saying... If we can't risk being hurt, then we can't give unconditionally. 
And when we love unconditionally with the love of Jesus and love like Jesus did and does, we just give up those rights to say, I have a right for a thank you. Oh, Jesus, purify my heart to love holy. Because holding a grudge is like building a wall. So if you hear yourself saying things like, you're asking me to make vanilla bars again, and you've got this grudge going on, here's what happens when you are holding a grudge. They're almost always, I'm finding, followed with assumptions. You think about it. And let me tell you, I believe that assumptions are one of the number one tools Satan uses to break up relationships. There's no place for grudge. She's just assuming that I'm going to make her granola bars and everything. She asks me if you. She doesn't realize how long this takes me. She doesn't even care how long it takes me. I'm not serious. I mean, just because I do it. I need to fight it. Huh? I don't know. Actually, one of them did teach me how to make it, but it, she's not. She's living there. It's just different. It's all good. I'd like you to turn back in your Bible about a page to um, 1 Peter chapter 4. Oh. And let's just look at a couple verses starting with verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Whoa, we could stop on camp on that one. We've got to be praying women. For you must be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers to be heard and empowered. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I'll listen to the groans in here. As each has received a gift, whatever God has given you, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So it's out of reverence for Christ and his example to love unselfishly that we serve and we love unconditionally. You see that there? You might want to come back to that that passage. If you, if you think these are powerful, please write them down. Come back to these passages and spend some time and ask the Lord to speak to you through these passages. What is it in here that he wants to grow in you? Take them on. 
We've got to lean to fix our focus, not on the struggle of what we're doing, but on the end result, the beautiful glorification of God himself. This isn't just about us. so often we feel like um, we're just kind of blinded, like we just can't see this stuff because we're just in it every day. I don't believe it has to be that way because according to the scriptures, I am not blind when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And he resides in me. He in me and I in him. So I pray, according to Revelation 3.18, anoint my eyes with eye salve that I may see. So even though my true heart condition can sometimes be hidden from me because of deception, it is not hidden from God. And he has come, has he not, to give sight to even us who sometimes are blind. For the weapons, 2 Corinthians 10, you know what I'm going to say? 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word here. The weapons of this warfare are not walls, <laughs> says carnal, fleshly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You probably should have this verse on your stronghold buster thing if you're doing one of those because it says here that he is mighty to pull down strongholds. The weapon is not the wall. That's not what's going to keep me safe. And that's not what's going to take care of these relationships. We need to trust Jesus with the things that offend us. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Romans 12, 19. Any sowing of discord or separation among brethren is an abomination to God. It says in Proverbs, this is one of the things that God hates. So we must do all we can to be united. What would happen if we just kept loving those people who seem to hate us or who seem to put up a wall against us? What would happen if we kept on loving them? Let's just pray, can we, for a fresh move of God because this is so hard and so against our flesh. 
been so hurt. I have asked my God, help me see, help me see any lies in this. Let me just say a few that the Lord has given to me just in the last week or two. My lie, I go back to one that I read to you before, my validation comes from uh, their approval of me. My happiness depends on it. If it's a real close relationship, my happiness depends on it. These are lies. Being offended is the fault of the one who hurt me. Being offended is not the fault of the one who hurt me. Building a wall will protect me from further pain. That's a lie. A lie. I can love them despite my grudge. Mm -mm. A lie. I can trust my thoughts and assumptions when I'm feeling offended. A lie. I am blind and I cannot see. So I'm easily deceived and super weak and hopeless. lie about the Holy Spirit in me and I can pray to him and say open my eyes to see it's a lie that my feelings are justified and that I'm justified for feeling the way that I do those are just some of my lies I'm working for several pages okay uh, you can have whatever I'm doing. That's fine with me. Can I just tell you a couple more? Because this is so fresh for me. It's a lie that I do not have enough love to get past the initial pain of the offense. That's a lie. I have the Holy Spirit in me, so I'm like filled up with love. I don't have to ask him to fill me with love because I have the presence of the Holy Spirit in me. I need to exercise what is true about me. So it's a lie that I don't have enough love to get past the initial pain of the offense. I have been so hurt that it is necessary for me to build this wall. And when the response given to me after I have tried and tried and tried to love is less than accepted, it means I have failed because they did not love me back. This is just me. The, 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 I know oh, why these are lies. Yes, okay, now. So I gave some time to this thing, and I'm not done with this. This is a work in progress. I'm in it, what's that, how do you say that? So. Here's a truth that I know. Um, he who sows to the flesh, this is Galatians 6, 8 to 9. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit 
will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And then I put 2 Corinthians 10, the one that we just read. This being, this is Acts 24, 16. This being so, I myself always strive. Exercising discipline here. I strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. This is Paul, and you know Paul's story. If there's a man who deserves or who thinks he should have the right to feel offended, it's Paul. And here he's saying, I strive. This is what I'm trying to do. I strive to have a conscience without offense toward God or toward man. And that means I'm exercising forgiveness and I'm refusing to put down that brick and refusing to take up offenses so that my conscience, my heart, stays clean and it stays fit. This is the hard part, though, because we have to go beyond just that. We have to go beyond that and love. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Why is there this urgency in Scripture to forgive and to reconcile? Why is there this urgency in Matthew 18 as well to go and seek reconciliation? Go take care of things. It's not for our sake so much as it is for our brother's sake. Holding anger can lead to hatred. Hatred not dealt with could put them in danger of hell. So seek reconciliation as top priority. You get my heart. I'm having to read some of this because I've had to write it down. And the love of God does not permit me to allow those who have offended me to remain angry with me without me attempting to reach out in restoration. So I do everything I can to restore this relationship. It's not about me. It's about their heart before their God. It's not about me anymore. It's about these loved ones that I love so much. And I need to know that I'm not doing anything to feed their anger or to feed their resentment or that I have done everything I can by the leading of the Holy Spirit to restore everything. This is hard because sometimes it means do nothing. 
at the moment, but pray. And in, uh, you might look in Scripture and find some verses that tell you to go to your brother, and you might find some Scriptures that tell you that they should be forgiving you, and you might find some Scriptures that, uh, that support all these different little things. But it all has to be grounded in the truth that this must be done with a servant's heart to love them. The battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. Right? And he is merciful and he is just. Love forgets wrongs so that there is hope for the future. And if you have overcome an offense, you will earnestly seek peace. So you watch for that opportunity. And you come before the Lord with me, it's on a daily basis. Right now, it's not every day because I know it's a no, but... For a while there, I didn't know what to do. And so I, every day almost, I would come before the Lord. I, and this is no joke. Almost every single day for a couple years. I would come before the Lord and just say, Lord, can I send a text? Because I'm not about to do anything unless I hear from you. As I do not trust my flesh. And I don't want to drive anybody away. So just show me. And if, and if I had a strong feeling of sending a text, and I waited a little while, and I continued to have that nudge that was from the Holy Spirit, because I was seeking Him with all my heart, I would send a text. Maybe once every two weeks or every other month after a while. You with me? And still... I will not do anything unless I know that it's from the Holy Spirit of God. Because I want it to be a gift of love. And to be honest, the other thing that really gives me a tremendous amount of freedom is to know that I really don't know. I don't know really. You might think you know what's going on in your situations. You don't really know. I don't really know what's causing the feelings of the other party. I don't, I really don't know. I, and I could do, I could think I know, but I really don't know what God is doing in their heart. I don't really know the deep fear or the deep anger. Don't, please don't be, I've learned, I can't be so proud as to think I know things. I really don't know what's going on in the head of my girls at home, my teenagers, when they're in their room for a long time. It's okay. Unless the Lord tells me to do something, I'm just going to keep loving on them. I don't know what's going on. And I'm not going to make assumptions about it. Because I have learned that oftentimes they're not accurate. So, oh, here we are offended. We're hurt. Our feelings are raw. <laughs> we have the ability to love. 
This is very contrary to the flesh. This is not possible in the flesh. To love from the heart with a desire to serve. But it's a beautiful thing. And the Lord promises, the Lord promises that he takes care of it all. And if wrong has been done to you by somebody, the Lord's going to deal with it. He, he's going to deal with everything any of us has done. Every action that we have done will be dealt with. Those of us who know Jesus, he's dealt with them. You are forgiven. Those who don't know Jesus, their wrong will be dealt with. So we can trust God with this. And we can pray for the salvation of those who have hurt us. Oh, my greatest, one of my greatest fears or my greatest uh, concerns is that I would contribute in any way to somebody else's downfall. And if it could be that an unforgiving spirit or a manipulative spirit would, would um, contribute to that in them, oh God, please show me. Don't you want to just know? We don't want to be a part of that. It's not, a, it's not just about us. This is about the kingdom of God. Jesus chose to use his liberty and freedom to serve. <laughs> we've been rescued from slavery, and we've been given life. <laughs> He rescued us from slavery, and he said, okay, ladies, get to the promised land. He's not talking about heaven when you die. He's talking about today. Are you living in the promised land, the victorious Christian living, because the Holy Spirit of God resides in you? That's what he means by the fullness of life. <laughs> it's fun. It's a challenge. It's taking these stinking hard things and saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this with you as my commander, and I'm not going to build that wall. And I'm going to get home tonight, and I'm going to look at my husband in the face, and I'm going to give him a kiss because I'm not feeling it. I didn't feel it. It wasn't true for me that I was offended by him. I let it go. But it's only because I'm really working at it. It'll happen when he frees me and when I take my responsibility to work at it. It's fun. Kind of is. <laughs> it's when the pain becomes a privilege. You know what I'm saying? It's when the pain becomes a privilege when you can sit with somebody and say, I know what you're feeling. The pain becomes a privilege 
when you can sit across from somebody or you watch somebody listen to your husband preaching, <laughs> here's one, and you know that their family has been broken, that their son made some really bad mistakes and he's down in the Bellingham Whatcom Jail right now, and that their daughter, well, the story's just ugly, full of rebellion. But he's looking at my husband who's preaching to him and to everybody else thinking, that guy knows my pain. Because he's had similar stuff in his home. That's when it becomes a privilege. And you say, thank you, Lord, I would not change a thing. Now please bring salvation to all those others. It becomes a privilege when you can come home or when you send a text or an email and you either get nothing back or you get something back that says don't do that anymore. And you don't feel it because God's taken it from you. It's just the work of God. It's a gift. It takes faith and it takes some work. It takes His Holy Spirit's word to fill those voids. Oh, and breathe it into you. He's got such life for us to live in the midst of our pain. Such fullness of life is ours. I'm just going to close now with with this passage that has been incredibly helpful to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 23-24. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial or edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Gentiles or to the church of God or to just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Just one more, Jesus, just one more. Jesus, we just want to thank you for the life that you have purchased for us. Oh, what a gracious plan, God, that you would restore our spiritual condition to be one with you again. 
by the giving of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and ascension that brings life to us through your Holy Spirit. And all these commands that you give us to not be offended and to love are possible. You tell us that you do not ask us to do anything without giving us all we need to carry them out. And so, oh, Lord, fill us up so that we can live life fully and honor you that way. Oh, I just pray for these sisters, Lord Jesus. You know exactly where they're at and where their friends are at and where their kids are at and their grandchildren. We pray, Lord, Holy Spirit of God, that the fullness of life would be entreated to people today and that you would give us words as women to say boldly to those that we love, words of love, words of truth, words of life. We open our arms and our minds and our hearts to receive your words of love. Oh, God, you are so full. Now we just ask you, as we have a time of this interaction, we ask that you would go before us now. Help us, help each other. Amen.